Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned, and in our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? And we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Please be seated. <clears throat> for those of you who are relatively new to West Hills and have not gone through one of our entry point classes, let me just kind of give you a little snapshot of who we are in, in the much bigger picture of churches. We're a part of a movement of churches um, and that are gospel-centered and uh, ministries around the world, literally touching virtually every corner of the world. It's called Converge Worldwide. It has its, as its vision to basically establish and develop uh, communities of followers of Jesus and to help strengthen them so that they can then have a witness in many of the places probably where these shoeboxes go so that the church can be planted and the church can be strengthened and made healthy in various parts of the world. Here in the States, we have 11 districts, geographical districts, and uh, we happen to be a part of called Converge Mid-America. And it covers the states of Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, and, you want to guess? Michigan, Michigan of course. <clears throat> um, we just believe that working together with other churches, every church in, every church in Converge Worldwide is autonomous. We make our own decisions, hire our own pastors, set our own budgets. But we believe that we can get a whole lot more done if we work together than if we work alone. And so it's a cooperation of churches. 1,300 and growing, I believe, in the States, Gary. And um, it's, it's a great fellowship of churches that we're a part of. At the beginning of Gary's ministry, he planted a church up in Wisconsin, Oconomowoc. He was a key player in getting several dozen churches going in that area of the country. In 1998, he became the director of church planning for our district, Converge Mid-America. He served in that role until 2010, when he became the executive minister of our particular district. Uh, Gary has always had a heart for evangelism, a heart for church planting, a heart for pastors, a heart for helping churches like ours become all that we can be, if you will. 
and um, he has helped plant a number of churches, even here in the greater St. Louis metro area. He's authored a number of books. Uh, one of them he's going to actually be, I think, referencing in his sermon today, 21 Dangerous Prayers. I thought it was appropriate that <laughs> Missy's comments about prayer and then the, the video just referenced the importance of prayer. And also a little pamphlet that we've made available to you all from time to time over the last few years called Your Spiritual Journey, which is just a really excellent little tool to help someone see where they're at in their spiritual journey in coming to faith in Christ. Um, most importantly, Gary loves the Lord. Uh, he and I were talking out in my office earlier just about kind of our, some of the common denominators in our faith walks. And um, he just lost his mom here in the last two weeks, and uh, she loved the Lord. He may be talking about that a bit, but um, it's just good to have a brother in Christ with us this morning who loves the church and wants to help the church um, do all that we can do to help more people know Jesus. Gary and his wife Mary live in the Chicago suburb of Lindenhurst. They have three grown children. Any grandkids? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. That day will come. But uh, let's, uh, let's extend a warm welcome to Gary Rohrmeyer. Well, good morning. All right, it is really great to be here today. And uh, uh, you, uh, you possibly might have gotten a prayer card when you came in. So that's a, there's a picture of my wife, Mary. Uh, she's, she uh, comes with me about 50% of the time, but uh, I was in Oklahoma uh, on Friday, so she didn't want to come to Oklahoma and then <laughs> Uh, do the double trip there so but um, we've been married 36 years uh, just celebrated that last week and uh, so it's been been quite quite a journey in in our life uh, Pastor Gary talked about my mom passing away and uh, and I'm just going to share this moment this kind of beautiful moment uh, with our family uh, I was the first one to come to faith in Christ in my family and uh and by the grace of God, all of my, my parents, both my parents and my siblings have come to Christ. Now we're working on the second generation and the third generation. Uh, we don't have any grandkids, but I keep, keep telling our, we have two, our two kids got married in the last 18 months. Both, uh, two of our children got married in the last 18 months. And I keep telling them, we need to get, start getting grandkids because I don't want any more dogs. Okay, so, uh, but, uh, um, and I just had a, uh, my mom, uh, it was a kind of a sudden death, um, uh, wasn't nothing prolonged or anything like that, but uh, the Lord took her rather quickly, and, uh, but it was, we all got there before she passed, and uh, we are in a hospital room at 2 a.m., and uh, we just started playing some hymns um, to let her listen to those, and, and, and all of us, and all of a sudden we just had this impromptu worship service. Uh, spontaneous and uh, we're singing about Jesus and God's glory and his love his mercies and, uh, and we started praying and reading scripture and, uh, and I was just in awe because 37 years ago that would have been uh, that would have never happened and uh, just the amazing work of God's grace God's at work all around us. 
and uh, we just need to be open to seeing him work, right? And, uh, and today we're going to talk about praying some dangerous prayers as we, uh, um, you know, because all too often we pray safe prayers. We've got to learn to pray, go a little deeper and pray some dangerous prayers so that we can be in, because God wants some dangerous disciples, okay? Because those are the ones that shake up the world. So, uh, um, let me pray, and I'm just going to give you a little quick update on Converge, and then we're going to dig into our text today, all right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for its rich history, its bright future. Thank you for the leadership of Pastor Gary Brooks and uh, the elders and the staff and the team and how instrumental they've been in seeing the gospel go forward here in our partnership uh, with Converge and not only not only here at all St. Louis but throughout the world in their support of missionaries and church planters and so Father thank you thank you for this church and uh, and and Lord we just come today as your children wanting to hear your voice wanting to hear you speak to us we ask you O Holy Spirit to speak to us to illuminate our hearts and our minds and for those who need a word of encouragement, I pray that through the power of the Spirit, they will receive that word and it will bring life to their souls and will encourage them in their time of need. And, and maybe today there's some who need a word of correction, just uh, need to correct the behavior, a thought pattern. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you will speak and that your word will touch that area of their life. And there's some here today that might just need to be challenged. Maybe they've been coasting. They need to be challenged to deepen their prayer life and deepen their, the missional activity that God is calling them to. And so, Lord, we come. We come as your children expecting you to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, just a quick update on Converge. We're, we're all about starting and strengthening churches. We've had a great run here the last 20 years. Uh, when I came here, we had about 86 churches, uh, mainly in the Chicagoland area, a couple here in St. Louis. And uh, really, by the grace of God and the power of God, uh, we've, we've gone from 86 churches to now 225 churches. And uh, it's, been, it's been a remarkable run. It's been stretching and changing. And uh, when we had 86 churches, we could visit churches. You know, I could almost preach in a church every 18 months. And uh, now it takes me four years to get around to churches. <laughs> And so we made a couple uh, big moves and hired a couple of uh, senior leaders who are now working with me full-time in seeing this ministry move forward. But, but we come alongside, we strengthen churches, walk with churches. Um, some of our churches, are, we have, our oldest church is over 160 years old. And, uh, and so we've got new churches that are just infant churches that have just started. And so uh, we work with all types of churches. But we're just so thankful for your partnership and, uh, and looking forward to um, deepening that and, uh, uh, and continue, to, continue to, to march on. Well, let me, let me start today by asking this question. Have you, ever, have you ever had something happen to you where you just went, Ugh! You had this emotional, gut-wrenching, you know, why did that happen to me? Or why did I do this? What was I thinking, right? I mean, have you ever, has that ever happened to anybody here? Yeah, I mean, we've all had that experience. 
So, uh, um, uh, you know, I tell lots of stories about this, but a, a pastor came up to me and he shared this story with me. I thought it would be appropriate for here uh, because it, it relates to Missouri. And so he, he basically said, you know, that happened to me, Gary, and I got to tell you what happened. He says, I, I was, he was a youth pastor. He had a speaking engagement for, for a church in St. Joe, St. Joe, Missouri. And so, uh, so basically he got, got his flight booked, everything came down. He was going to speak to this uh, youth guy gathering, and he comes down, flies down, gets there early, and uh, goes to the church, and the church looks at him and goes, who are you? And he goes, well, I'm your speaker for the youth event. Well, we don't have any youth event. And uh, it was the, the name of the church was the same, but the city was different. It was St. Joe, Michigan. <laughs> So he gets on his, that's the first, right? So he gets on a plane, gets back, lands at Midway, drives over to, to Michigan to, to, get, uh, to get to this, this church, and he, he gets there, and he, he, barely, he barely makes it before the, the, the event is starting. And he gets there, and uh, he, he runs into the church and sees the youth pastor, and, uh, and the youth pastor says, what are you doing here? He goes, I'm here for the event. He goes, that's next week. <laughs> uh, uh, right? Now I share that story because that's the emotion behind this text. That's the emotion behind this text. You know, because Isaiah, and Isaiah 64, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it to follow along, but Isaiah 64 is, uh, you know, the, the, I, the prophet Isaiah, you know, the, the prophet's job was to preach God's word to his generation. Okay, and, uh, and sometimes he actually predicted, God used him to predict the future. Okay, and God worked miraculously in him. But here, he's preaching to this generation, and basically he's saying this. He says, you know what? You know, there's this looming empire around us, ready to take us, destroy us. And basically the whole idea was, if you guys don't get it together, right, you're going to end up praying a prayer like this, a prayer of frustration. A prayer of frustration. A prayer that, that basically is saying, God, you've got to do something. Will you move with power and might? You know, so the bottom line is that there's nothing more frustrating than feeling like your prayers are going unanswered. There's nothing more frustrating than feeling like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, right? And uh, they're going up and they're bouncing back, coming back to you. There's nothing more frustrating than, than, than that. Dangerous prayers come in moments of deep frustration and seasons of brokenness. Dangerous prayers come in, come, come in moments of deep frustration and seasons of brokenness. I pray more dangerously when I need to experience God's light in my soul, His power in my ministry, and His leading in my future. Well, in this text today, we're going to look at five, five dangerous prayers. Five dangerous prayers that the, the people of God are praying. They're wrestling with God. They're coming to God. You know, there was a, there was a biography that changed my life as a brand new Christian. It was written by uh, a biography about George Mueller. And George Mueller had a prayer life, you know, that... Because I, 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 I grew up in a real, basically an unchurched home. But, but the Christian experience that we, we did have was... Uh, it was like, you don't argue with God, Okay. 
And when I read this biography about this guy's prayer life, and, and actually the, 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 the biographer basically described his prayer life as a holy argument with God. He was wrestling with God, see? And he would throw God's promises back at him. And, and, and see, one of the things we need to do is we need, we need to learn how to pray more dangerously, in a sense. More boldly. More passionately. Right? Wrestling things out with God. See, too, too often we pray the safe prayers. Lord, bless me. Lord, keep me. Lord, lead me. Lord, provide for me. Right? And dangerous prayers are, there's three types of dangerous prayers. There are confessional prayers. Lord, search me. There's a transformational prayer. Lord, break me. And there's a missional prayer, which is basically, Lord, send me or Lord, use me in whatever situation you call me to. So we're going to look at these five dangerous prayers, and I pray that you'll find some encouragement, and God will use them to deepen your prayer life. The first dangerous prayer we see in verse, verse 1, uh, verses 1 to, 1 to 3, actually, and he, he basically says, O Lord, oh, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And I like the, the first dangerous prayer is this, O Lord, will you just show up? That's my translation of that verse. Oh, Lord, will you just show up, right? You ever pray like that? You ever pray, you know, God, will you just show up? See, the thing is, when we pray, oh, Lord, will you just show up, the Lord typically shows up in our lives, right? He starts shaping us and molding, and molding us. Oh, Lord, will you just show up? And so he says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And in three ways, they ask God to show up. Number one, remove the barriers. See, look at he says, that the mountains would tremble before you or quake before you. The, the, the idea there is that, you know, mountains are huge obstacles. And he's asking God to remove, just remove the mountains. Remove the mountains that are keeping me from experiencing who you are and, and what you want. And you know what, in, 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 in the day of the people who were praying this, you know what the two mountains were? The mountains were rebellion and materialism. Rebellion and materialism. Isn't that interesting? Don't we live in a culture that says, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it? And don't we live in a culture today that says, I want to buy what I want to buy even though I can't afford it? <laughs> right? And, uh, and, and those barriers, God, remove the barriers. And then, and then, they, then they ran towards God and they said, God, set fires in people's hearts. Set fires in people's hearts. And, and fires that don't just burn out quickly, but but fires that produce something, the boiling of water, okay? And then they prayed, oh God, would, would you make your name known? See, they didn't pray, they didn't ask God to show up to show off. They asked God to show up to make himself known in the lives of their people. You see, here's the biggest mistake we make, I think, in prayer is when trials, difficulties, pain comes our way, one of the biggest mistakes we make is that when we run away from God. You know? You ever hear somebody say, well, I'm tired of talking to God. I'm not talking to God anymore. Right? Well, that just compounds the problem. See, the only way you're going you're gonna to understand the trials, the tragedies, the, the difficulties of life is by running towards God. It's the only way that, that he'll make sense out of all those things. And that's why this whole idea of making himself known to us, that we, we experience him in a deep and powerful way. Oh God, will you just show up? Let me ask you, when's the last time you prayed this type of prayer for a loved one? 
God, will you remove the barriers that are keeping them from knowing you? Will you set a fire in their heart? Will you make yourself known to them? You know, every morning I pray for one of our kids, that God would just show up in his life. And I pray those three things. And we just keep wrestling with God over those things. When's the last time you prayed that for your city, right? For our country. See, our, our country is not going to be changed by the political people we vote in. It's going to be changed by God's people praying. Okay? And we need to be a part of the process, but we need to be a praying people. Praying for our country. Praying for revival to take place in the church and spiritual awakening to take, take place outside the church. F.B. Myers said this, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. So we got to say, oh God, would you show up? And remember, when we pray, God, will you show up? He'll actually start showing up in our lives. And he'll start, he'll start revealing the barriers. He'll start revealing where our, where our fire is going out. He'll start revealing that, that our, our, our need for a deeper relationship with him. The second, the second prayer is, Oh Lord, I'll wait on you. Oh Lord, I'll wait on you. Look at what he says. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ears perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. Okay? Are you an amen? All right. I mean, I, I hate waiting. I mean, I'm I'm the guy that walks up to the uh, uh, to the elevator. You know that that everybody's standing around waiting for the elevator, and it's the little white, the little knob is white, right? I'm the guy that busts through the crowd and pushes the button, thinking I'm going to get there faster than anybody else, right? I'm the guy that sneaks up behind you, and uh, if the light turns green and you don't move right away, you're going to get the beep. Right? You're going to get the beep. And I hate that when people do it to me. <laughs> but you know, I always equated waiting on God is, is uh, you know, I always got frustrated when I would, would see this in the Bible, is I always kind of equated to laziness. Oh, we just don't do nothing. We do nothing about that. Well, no, it's, 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 it's more than that. Actually, uh, the verse can be translated to hope in the Lord. So here's my little definition of waiting on God. Waiting on God is when you cling, you're hanging on to God like your life depends upon it. With a deep expectation that God is going to come through. See? Waiting on God is clinging on to God in prayer. Like your life depends upon it. With a deep expectation that God is going to come through. See, there's, God answers prayer in three ways. Yes, no, and grow. Okay? Or yes, no, one preacher said yes, no, and slow. Right? Because part of it is he wants, he's growing our lives. He's transforming our lives as we go through this. Here's the best way I can illustrate this. Our family, we live in, in, uh, in, in Chicago. We're, we're actually like four miles from uh, Six Flags Great America. I know you have one here, right? Still, right? There's one out there. And uh, so... When, I, when we took our kids there the first time, uh, my son was 12 years old, our middle son Daniel, and, uh, and so uh, Daniel was like kind of rambunctious, and he's like, Dad, you know, if we're going to do this great America thing, we need to do the roller coaster challenge. And I'm like, well, okay, what's that? 
And, uh, and he says, well, that's riding every roller coaster in one day. Okay? Now, I'm automatically thinking right away that there's no way you're going to do this. I mean, there's like, I think there are 11 roller coasters, and uh, you know how it is, a three-minute ride for a three-hour wait. Right? And I'm going, we do not have 39 hours, you know, to, to do this, or whatever it is. And so, so, um, so uh, he says, well, Dad, we got to go for it. So, fine, we did it. We bolted right off and started going through all the, we started the small ones first and got to the bigger ones. And uh, by 5 o'clock that day, from 10 to 5, we accomplished the goal. All right? I'm still waiting for the t-shirt that said, I conquered the roller coaster challenge. Never got one. But, uh, um, so, um, so we're done, I'm just exhausted, you know, uh, all that bumping and jostling, all that stuff. Now, I actually, I've done this three times with all three kids, okay, uh, because they all, once the first one did it, and then we had to do it with all of them. So, last time I did it was my daughter, when she graduated high school, and uh, I'm still suffering from that one, but... Uh, <clears throat> I've not been on a roller coaster since. <laughs> uh, but we got done that day, and my son said, he said, Dad, we're not done yet. I'm going, what do you mean we're not done yet? He goes, I said, we rolled, did all the roller coasters, Dad, but you see that giant tower in the middle of the park? And I said, that's no roller coaster. He goes, yeah, but Dad, we got to ride that. That's the premier ride. And it, it's called the Giant Drop. I don't know what they call it. They, they must have one down here. But basically, it's got, you know, it's got seats around the side. It's a tower that goes 265 feet in the air and, uh, and then drops you at about 65 miles an hour. And hopefully, the brakes work. Okay? Hopefully, the 15-year-old who's operating the brakes pushes the button at the right time. Okay? And so, so we're, we're, we're getting in this thing. We're, we're in line, you know, moving through. And uh, now... Back in my day, you know, uh, in the 70s, they had a similar ride to that. It was called the Edge. Well, the Edge was closed due to a fatality, okay, for a number of years, and then they brought it back as the giant drop, but theoretically the same ride, okay? So all I'm thinking in the back of my mind is, this is the edge. This is the edge, you know. And uh, so we get there. We're sitting down. They strap us in. You know, the 15-year-old helps make sure we're in there secure. And uh, um, and there's me and uh, my son here, me and two girl, two teenage girls. And uh, the one girl sitting next to me, she's telling her friend, "You gotta lift your hands. You gotta lift your hands. It's so much better if you lift your hands." I'm like, "Oh, get a life, kid. You know, I can't believe I'm on this ride." So we're going, we're getting out of there. So we're starting to go up and up and up and up. And you, you know you're high in the air when the birds are flying underneath you, okay? <laughs> and so we're going up and up and up. And, and uh, we're getting there. And there's all this nervous chit-chat going on. And then we get to the top and you're, there's a sound. Now, now, how many of you have ridden, ridden a ride like this? Maybe a different name? Okay. How many of you have ridden it more than once? Pray for these people. Okay? <laughs> All right. Well, we get up there, we're going up and up, and there's just like all this nervous chit-chat going on. People are talking, you know, and then all of a sudden you get to the top and you hear this ka And then it's dead silence. Because everybody knows what's going to happen. And it's three, two, one. Whoosh! And I'm, I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on to both sides. And, you know, the first 10 seconds you're trying to scream and you can't scream. Right? You're doing like, yeah! 
and, and you know, I'm a big guy, and I was glad I was strapped in because my butt came out of the seat a little bit. Okay? And I'm hanging on, I'm clinging on, and we're going down, the cement's getting closer and closer and closer, and then all of a sudden, whoosh, the brakes work, and it stops, and then it's dead silence again. And then everybody realizes they're alive. And they go, oh, that's so cool, let's ride it again. And I'm going, thank God I'm alive when I ride this stupid thing. Well, you know what waiting on God is? Waiting on God is that time between three, two, one, and thank God I'm alive. <laughs> it's when you're free-falling and you're clinging on to God like your life depends upon it with a deep expectation that God is going to come through. See? Learning how to say, God, I'll learn to wait on you. That's a dangerous prayer. Because it pushes us, it pushes us to our, to our limits sometimes. The third dangerous prayer is found in verse, verse 5. He says, oh Lord, he says, you come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. That dangerous prayer is, oh Lord, I will obey, I will obey you joyfully. Ooh, that's a dangerous prayer, right? It's one, it's one to say, I'll obey you, Lord. But then to say, I will obey you joyfully. It's even more and more dangerous. You know, one of the things I think that people get frustrated with unanswered prayer is that sometimes they don't uh, look at what, are, what, what is God teaching them through that time. Remember, there's yes, no, and grow, right? And so unanswered prayer drives us to our needs and, and drives us to, to, to comp contemplate on what God is doing. And let me say this, that you cannot live in willful disobedience to God and think that God is going to be answering your prayers. The psalmist says that if we cherish sin in our hearts, God's not going to hear us. If, you know, if, we're, if we're being willful, He's not going to hear him. He comes to the help of those who what? Who gladly do right. Right? Who are living in obedience to the Father. Whose lives are being conformed to God's ways. You know, God has ways he wants us to live. See, one of the things about becoming a Christian is, is that, that, that we've been operating. Christians, you know, you know, in the first 20 years of my life, I operated on a whole... Uh, a set of values that were not godly values at all. And part of the growing and maturing as a follower of Christ is when we start, we start just shifting our cultural values and really begin to own, own biblical values. Right? And that, that's some of, the, some of the challenges that you have to do as you grow and mature in your faith and, and go, you know, I, I want to do things God's way. See? There's that desire. So, Lord, I want to obey you joyfully. Man, you pray that prayer, and, uh, and God's going to show up in it. I'll tell a quick story of my wife. You know, this has happened uh, a couple, couple weeks ago. Um, we're always talking about how, teaching people how to get into spiritual conversations. And, and uh, my wife's a very, very introvert. Uh, but it's amazing how people just talk to her and how she does people feel relaxed and talking with her. So she was... Uh, she was walking her dog, and um, uh, she saw this lady, you know, about, uh, she lives about 15 houses away from us. My wife had never met her, never saw her, and, uh, and, and she was at the end of her driveway, just looked very upset, and uh, confused, and uh, troubled, and, and my wife, you know, went up to her and said, hey, is there, any, is there anything I can do to help you? Are you okay? 
and uh, and she says, "Oh, I lost my I lost my uh, remote for my my garage door. Uh, somehow it was sitting on the roof of my car, and I I was hoping it would be at the end of my driveway. And, I, and so my wife started looking for looking for it and uh, helping her with it, and uh, and they couldn't find it. And so my wife said, "Well, as I'm walking the dog, I'm going to look for I'm going to look for your remote and uh, uh, along the street." And, uh, and so uh, she said goodbye to the woman. My wife, five steps away from that lady's house, she prayed this prayer. She said, she said, Lord Jesus, help me find this remote so I can tell this woman that you helped me find it. Ten steps later, she found the remote. Sometimes the quickest prayer <laughs> that's answered, right, is that prayer of obedience, right? And, and uh, so now my wife found the remote. Now she has to what? Joyfully obey, right? And so she basically goes back to the, to the house uh, and, and knocks on the lady's door. She said, is this your remote? She goes, oh, yes, it's my remote. And uh, she invites her in the house and tells my wife her whole life story and uh, all this stuff. And now, but my wife still isn't done yet. She's not completed the task, right? She has to tell her how she found it. And so she basically says, she, she, she listens to the, the, the woman and, and, uh, and they're interacting. And then my, my wife just says, I need to tell you something, though, about how I found it. And she goes, well, how, how is that? She goes, well, you know, I prayed. I asked Jesus. Now she goes, I'm not, I'm not a religious person, but I have a relationship with Jesus. And I prayed to Jesus and I asked him to help me find it so I could tell you that he helped me find your remote. And uh, this has now created a whole spiritual conversation. Hopefully she's going to church this morning with my wife. But, uh, but you know, here's, here's the thing. You got to joyfully obey, right? Right? And she did it with joy. And, and a dangerous prayers, right? Um, uh, open doors that we don't usually see. The fourth dangerous prayer is found in the next few verses. The middle of verse 5, he says, But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? And this dangerous prayer is, Lord, I confess. I love the, I love the moment today in worship today. We had a time of a confessional time. It was really, really great and moving and meaningful to me today. But look, you know, um, what is confession? You know, it's, it's amazing to me that... You know, I've been following Jesus for 37 years. Um, but it's amazing to me how egocentric we can be as human beings to think that, that we can hide things from God. You know? That we can hide those secret... We, we, can, we think we can have secret sins. Right? And uh, what confession is, and you can look at the definition here, confession is agreeing with God that our sins, our thoughts, our behaviors, violate His holy desires for us. Violate His holiness and His holy desires for us. You see, what confession is, is taking those secret sins, those things we've got hidden behind our back, and taking them and putting them between you and the Lord, and saying, Lord, I agree with you that this is wrong. That this violates your holiness and it violates your holy desires for me. You see, that, that's what confession is. And it takes courage, right, to confess. And sometimes it's dangerous to come and be truthful with the Lord in what's going on in our lives. It's interesting if you go through this verse, four, they, they, can, uh, they confess four different things. They kind of give some, give some um, 
thoughts here. He, he goes on and says, all, uh, all of us have become like one who's unclean. They, they, they confess their impurity before God. All, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You know, they confess their ineffective service to God. Um, they, they, they confess their spiritual weakness. We all screw up like a leaf, like the wind, our sins sweep us away. You know, a leaf is something that loses life, right? It's not connected to the life source. And it's dead and vulnerable. And then he says... Um, no one, verse 7, no one calls your name or strives lay hold of you for if you hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. We're not clinging unto God, holding unto God. And they confess that. They confess these things before the Lord. They bring those things out from behind their backs and they lay them before the Lord and they confess them. See? Every day of our lives is, you know, because we live in a fallen world. And, uh, and we, yeah, I, I love the story where Peter, um, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And, and uh, basically he's washing, you know, when they, they washed their feet, it was like the daily dirt. They were just washing off their feet because, you know, they lived in the arid culture. And they washed, the, washed the, the daily dirt off their feet. And Jesus was washing their feet as an act of service. And Peter, P, Jesus goes to Peter, he's going to wash his feet. And Peter says, no, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're not a part of me. And then he goes, well, then wash my whole body. I love that. I like that Peter's always grandiose like that. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a great imagery today that, you know what, every day, you know, Christ has washed us. We, we have been immersed. We are, you know, um, we are God's children by faith in Christ. But, you know, we live in a fallen world where we still get daily dirt on our feet. The daily sins, Right? And we need to confess those. We need to confess those to the Lord uh, in a healthy way. Um, and remove those things. Bring them from behind our back and putting them between you and the Lord. Say, yes, Lord, this is wrong. And I confess it to, put before you and I ask you for the strength and the power to overcome this and give me victory in Jesus' name. See, here's the big thing. God doesn't show up until we own up. God doesn't show up until we own up. The fifth dangerous prayer is this, O oh, Father, shape me. O oh, Father, shape me. Yet, O oh, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. I love that. There's two, two words I want to focus on, Lord and potter. Lord and potter. And Father and potter. Father and potter. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, uh, for some people, um, uh, it's, it's hard for them to call God Father. It's hard for them to pray, God, Father in Heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? Uh, I was one of those. I mean, I grew up in a, in a home where um, I had a pretty rough relationship with my dad. And, uh, uh, you know, we had a lot of drugs and addiction issues in our family and, and violence and all sorts of stuff. And... Uh, um, and when I came to Jesus, man, I was talking to Jesus all the time. <laughs> you know, I love talking to Jesus. And, uh, and then um, one of my friends talked about, you know, praying the Lord's Prayer, praying our Father in Heaven. That we, now in, in, 
because of what Jesus has done, we can go to the Father and we can have a right to call him Father and have an intimacy with the Father. And I, and I shared that with a friend of mine, shared my struggle with that. And, uh, and he, he said these words to me that just penetrate my heart even today, even as I say them. He said, Gary, you've got to have a different image of God as Father. And the fact is that, that God is the perfect Father. God is the Father you've always wanted and more. I love how he said it. God is the Father you've always wanted and more. Well, you know, that started the healing process in my heart as I started praying. And then I started praying for my Father and praying for God to, to touch his heart, open his heart, that he would experience the love of Christ in his life and you know, 10 years of praying and 10 years of conversations, my dad uh, did finally come to know Jesus. And I'll tell you, when my dad prays at family functions today, every time I hear him pray, it heals my heart. See? We have a father. We have a fa perfect father that wants us, like little children, to run to him. Can you picture your mind in your mind's eye where, where, where your, your, little, your little kids, your grandkids, your little children are running to you, right? And, the, and they're running, running into your arms and they got their, they're flailing and they're smiling and they're just running, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy! Right? And uh, that's the way the Father wants us to run to Him. See? In the Old Testament, the fatherhood of God was more like the father of a nation, but in the New Testament, because of the work of Christ, there's an intimacy there that Christ has provided for us. And Paul went even farther and said, we can call him Abba Father, which is Daddy Father. See? And then the second phrase is the potter. The potter. And I love this picture here. Um, of the pottery wheel. And I've, I've done some pottery in my life, and I actually should put a picture of some white pottery up there. And uh, we just were, we recarpeted her upstairs in my office, and I had to take all my pottery off my bookshelves and stuff. And uh, uh, it's very valuable to me. <laughs> and uh, um, and so my wife, my wife was actually going to throw, throw it away. And I was like, what? You can't throw this stuff away. I've had it, you know, for 30 years. This is, you know, and I want to give them a piece of these for the kids, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a potter, here's the thing about a, a pottery is that you've got to have strong hands but a tender touch. You know, we've got a father who's a potter who has strong, steady hands to shape us and mold us. But he has a tender touch. A tender touch. See? Oh God. Oh Father, right? Oh, he's our potter who shapes us and touches us. You know, I, I, we've raised three kids and um, there's seasons in the life of our children where we've had to dis discipline them. And, uh, and I remember this incident where it kind of backfired on me, but then a whole really cool life lesson came out of it is uh, one of our children was just acting up and just being, just being rude and obnoxious at the dinner table, and I warned them once, I warned them twice, and, and, uh, and in our family, three strikes and you're out, okay? And so uh, I escorted, I escorted that child to their bedroom. 
you can picture in your mind's eye, I'm escorting the child to the bedroom. And, uh, and I, I said, okay, you're going to bed with no supper. Okay, and so um, so they, they went to bed, and I said, "You need to wrestle wrestle out what's going on between you and God in your bedroom alone." And so, um, boy, I'm thinking I'm a genius, right? So I go back down to the dinner table. It's gonna be nice and quiet, but I forgot that their bedroom is right over the dining room. So we're hearing this. <laughs> They're pounding, and the. Chandelier shaking, and they're pounding. You're going to hear me. I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> and uh, so we ate real quickly, and we went to the other room and let them pound their feet and let them pound out what was going on in their heart and soul uh, before the Lord, right? And so a couple hours later, all of a sudden, I'm sitting in our den, and I see this, I see this shadowy figure at the door that's trying to be noticeably unnoticed. You know how that works with your kids, right? They're like... Right? And, uh, and I said, yes? Do you have something? And they mumbled something. And, and I said, come. And I, and I get my kids, they got to come really close to me. They got to come really close. And so they came, and uh, I had them sit next to me. And, uh, and, I, and I said, yes, do you have something to say? I'm sorry for the way they hate the dinner table. Now, you know, if I was a mean, malicious father, I'd slap them upside the head and say, get out of here. Right? Go back to bed. No supper for you. i sure I love my kids with all my heart. And I grabbed that child, pulled him on my lap, and I said, I love you. I love you. But I didn't like, I didn't like what you are doing, and you're better than that. And uh, we held, hugged them, took him into the kitchen, got him a little supper, took him up to bed, and prayed with him, and tucked him into bed. You know, I don't know where you're at today with your walk with the Lord. Maybe you're here the first time and first time you're hearing about God's love for you. But I want you to know this. I know this is true no matter how long you walk with the Lord. That everybody needs a hug from the Father. You know, if you just walked in the doors today, came here with a friend, and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's a Father that's, His hands are outstretched to you. And he gave the most precious gift that he could give in giving his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins, for your pain, for your sorrow. And he wants to hug you, embrace you, bring you, make you his child, make you his child so you can experience the forgiveness of sin and the, and the power to overcome sin in your lives. But maybe you've been, maybe you've been walking with the Lord a long time and Maybe you've been kind of, you know, sometimes in our lives as followers of Christ, we kind of give God the, give God the, the stiff arm, don't we? Okay, God, don't get too close. You're getting a little, you're meddling a little bit, right? And, you know, the Lord wants you to drop that, and he wants you to run towards him. And that's why, oh Lord, shape me is a dangerous prayer. Because he wants to hug you. He wants to shape you. He wants to mold you. He wants to take those, those, uh, those, uh, those, uh, right? And make them ahs. You ever hug somebody who didn't want to be hugged? Right? And he wants, you know, and then you hold on them until they relax. Right? 
That's what the Father wants to do with us someday. He just wants to hug us and hold us until we, he wants to turn those, ugh, that frustration to the, ugh, I'm relaxed. There's nothing, nothing feels dangerous when you're in the embrace of the Father. So let's quit playing, praying safe prayers. Let's take steps of faith to pray dangerous prayers. Because God wants to do great things in us and through us for his glory. I'm going to pray as we prepare for communion. And you know, communion is that great hug from the Father, isn't it? Reminds us of the fact that Jesus Christ's body was broken, was crushed, became lifeless for us. It reminds us that his blood was shed so that we can experience the forgiveness of sins. If you're, a, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, communion is open to you. But if you're not sure about that, I'd encourage you to maybe meet with somebody and pray with someone today, some of the pastoral team, prayer team people, uh, to talk about that. And I'd be happy to talk to you about that. But I'm going to pray and then they're going to pass out the elements and we'll uh, take communion together. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for your great love for us. And as we quiet our hearts in preparation for communion, we, uh, we just bow before you in humility, understanding that what we're doing today is a powerful symbol of God's great love for us. That Christ died for us. That yet, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His body was crushed and broken. And His blood was shed so that we could have a relationship with the Father. We have a relationship with God. And we can experience the forgiveness of sins and we can experience eternal life. And so, Father, as your children today, we come with hearts full of thanks. In Jesus' precious name, amen.